You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphian Video for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. In this episode called Betrayed by a Friend, Brother Mike Beard examines what it must feel like for Jesus to have been betrayed by Judas. And while carefully considering the gospel narratives concerning Judas, this episode also reveals the Lord's wisdom and his self-control. Judas believes he is successful in cheating his fellows and his Lord by stealing from the shared purse entrusted to his care, but Jesus is never deceased. Yet he shows Judas the same love and compassion as he does to all the other disciples, giving him warnings and opportunity to repent, which makes the ultimate act of betrayal all the more heartless and hurtful. Hope you enjoy this. Until next time, God bless. Now most of you would, if not all of you, would know the story of Jesus' death. And you would know of the Last Supper, which um, we read an account of, well, part of it tonight. And you would know of the crucifixion. But there was another tragedy that played out on that night, which led up to the crucifixion. And that was the terrible betrayal that Jesus suffered at the hands of what he considered a friend. And it was actually a tragedy that nobody, none of the disciples expected at all. They were all completely shocked. And it was actually one that Jesus felt very deeply. So the fact that Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends means that if you've ever suffered betrayal or hurt by someone you love, if you've ever been treated badly or swindled out of money or or just knifed in the back by someone who says horrible things about you and pretends to be nice to your face well you're in good company because the lord experienced this exactly and probably to a worse extent because his betrayer gave him up to be delivered into the hands of wicked men so that he could be tried and ultimately he was executed by those same wicked men And one of the most amazing things about the betrayal of Jesus is that although the disciples had no idea about it whatsoever, until Judas appears at night with a band of men to take Jesus away, Jesus knew about his betrayal from probably the earliest of times. And because he's the son of God, I guess sometimes we can think that maybe Jesus wasn't affected by things like this in the way that we might be affected. But I think there's good evidence that Jesus was deeply affected by this betrayal. And in fact, in the passage we had read to us tonight, um, he tells the disciples of the betrayal, and just have a look at this, see if these are the words of someone who's unaffected um, by the betrayal. In verse 21, we'll read them again. So Jesus had been speaking to the disciples about being betrayed. 
And then it says, he was troubled in spirit. Now, in some of the more modern translations, it means he was deeply troubled, deeply upset. And he testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one of my closest friends. So they're not the words of someone who's unaffected, are they? It deeply hurt the Lord. And you can imagine, three and a half years he'd been with these men and he had invested so much love and care, so much patience, so many teachings he'd shown to them, so many miracles he'd done before their eyes. And yet this man, it would seem, was completely unaffected by all of that, by the wonderful man that Jesus was. And he, despite knowing that Jesus knew that someone was going to betray him on that very night, he still went ahead with his plan. And just as a, a matter of interest, it wasn't as though there were only 12 people following the Lord throughout his ministry. In fact, Judas himself was later replaced, and one of the criteria for the replacement was that he had to have followed Jesus from the time of John's baptism right up until he was received up and he had to witness Jesus' resurrection. And there was two people at least that were nominated for the role. So there were certainly more than just the 12 that followed along with Jesus. And in fact, in another passage, um, there's 72 people that Jesus sends out before him to preach about his coming, about the kingdom. So there were lots of people around. And yet Judas held a specially privileged position as being one of the, the closest inner 12 and yet he betrayed him. So one of the things I just wanted to say up front, the reason we're looking at this tonight is not so that we can look at Judas and go, oh, what a terrible man he was, what a shocking example, we should never be like that, and, and shake our heads. That's not why the story of Judas is recorded for us. I think the whole point of it is exactly the response that the disciples had in the upper room. So we read John 13 tonight, but there's also a passage in Mark 26 which is going over the same material. And when Jesus says, Assuredly, one of you will betray me, it says that the disciples were exceedingly sorrowful. And look what they did next. They, they actually they had no idea who it was, to the point that after sitting there and thinking about it for a while, they started to wonder. I can't think who it would be. Maybe, Lord, is it, is it me? Am I the one who's going to betray you? I mean, all of us could think of things that we've done which would upset and betray our Lord. And that's the whole point. I think as we go through this story tonight, we should be asking the same question. We should be looking internally and asking ourselves whether we ever could be guilty of either going down this path or, or leading to where Judas got to in the end. Hopefully none of us get that far and can stop ourselves before we do. But it is amazing, isn't it? It shows you the, the length of the deception that, Jesus, that Judas achieved. None of them had any idea what he was like. So the man that we're looking at tonight, Judas Iscariot, um, as he's called in, in a few passages... Um, we actually don't know a whole lot about him at all. There's a lot of passages, actually, in the Bible which talk about Judas 
And in fact, if I was to read out all of the passages in the New Testament that spoke of Judas, it would probably take me about 20 minutes or more. Like there's a lot of material. I know some of it goes over the same material. It's repeated in other Gospels. But there are a lot of verses which deal with Judas. And yet we know very little about him outside of him being called the betrayer. His name, Judas Iscariot, probably means that he came from a place called Carioth, which is mentioned in Joshua chapter 15. And it's a pretty obscure city. They don't even know where it is uh, or was. But they know it was in um, Israel, like in the, in the lower part of the land. But that's by no means the only theory as to what Iscariot means. Um, but if that's the case... He's the only one of the disciples who is not from Galilee. All of the other disciples came from Galilee. Now, some of the other theories as, as to what Judas Iscariot's last name means, or surname as he's, as he's called, Iscariot. Um, so the word Iscara talks about what well, means strangulation and, and some theorise that perhaps he was given this name after he died because he died by hanging himself after um, his plan fell apart spectacularly. It's a fairly morbid explanation. Um, others have said it means a man from Issachar. Um, another interesting one, this word here, which I won't even try to pronounce, um, it means a purse or a bag, and we know that Judas kept the bag, so perhaps it means Judas the bag keeper. Um, some have even said that perhaps it means assassin. And the most bizarre one I found was that it could even mean redhead. So I don't know if we've got any redheads here, but keep an eye on them. Right, so the only other thing we really know about Judas is that his father's name was Simon. And we know nothing about Simon either. But perhaps Simon is one of the Simons that we might meet in other places in the Gospels. So we also know, and we read it tonight, there was a reference to it tonight, wasn't there, that Judas had the bag. He was given a privileged position among the disciples of holding the collection bag. And it says in John chapter 12, actually just one page back um, from our reading tonight, um, and we'll come to this story in a little bit, that Judas was a thief and used to help himself to the money that was put into that bag. So there's some not very nice uh, things that we know about Judas. And in fact, when I first came to this um, and started looking at it, before I'd thought about it for myself, I had, I had theories about what, what Judas's motivations might have been, and they weren't entirely negative. Um, and you may have heard some theories yourself, but I think as as we look at some of the passages we have of Judas tonight carefully, um, well, I came to the conclusion at least that Judas wasn't a very nice person at all. And his motivations were not anything other than greed and money and financial gain. So if you have other opinions, maybe hold off on them and don't dismiss what I'm talking about out of hand because hopefully as we look at some of the passages we'll see why I at least think that. Um, and so we're told also in Luke chapter 22 that he betrayed Jesus for money. 
So we don't know anything about his occupation before he met Jesus. We don't know where, really where he was born unless it was Karioff. We don't even know where that is. We don't know what his sympathies were. We don't know, you know, perhaps who he identified with in terms of political leanings or, or religious sympathies or anything like that. All we know is, I guess, that if Jesus selected him, he must have been a fairly obscure person, not someone who was famous and well-known because they were the kinds of people that Jesus attracted and they were the kind of people that Jesus worked with and collected around himself. People like us. Nobody's in the, in the eyes of the world, I suppose, unless there's someone famous here that I don't know about. So this position that Judas was given of um, <clears throat> collecting the bag, collecting the money and, and being given that position of trust, perhaps we'll just have a look at, the, at that passage now in chap, John chapter 12 and verse 4. Because I think this says a bit about the character of Judas when you stop and think about it and read it carefully. So perhaps you've heard this story before. Um, Jesus was in the house of um, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And it says in verse 3 that Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the beautiful fragrance of this oil that she anointed Jesus' feet with. It says here that one of, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, you know, the, the big long title that Judas has given on a number of occasions to distinguish him from the other Judas, who was also a disciple. There were two Judases, or Jude. He says, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? So a denarii is a day's wages of a labourer. So that's a lot of money. What's that, 50 grand, maybe more? Probably, probably more these days. That's a lot of money, isn't it, that Mary had in a box, broke it open and poured it over Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. It was all just gone in an instant. This isn't something that you can kind of, you know, take back and cash in the leftover if it's been poured over someone's feet. It's kind of like past its, you know, past its usefulness. And Judas appears to be absolutely scandalised at this, this waste of money. And look what he says. Why wasn't it sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And that sounds really thoughtful and caring, doesn't it? You know, I'm thinking about the poor. Why can't we look after the poor? That's important, probably more important than anointing Jesus' feet. This seems really extravagant. But we're told behind the scenes what's going on in Judas's head. He didn't say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box and he used to take what was put into, put into it. So he manufactures this fake concern for the poor, for others, and he couldn't comprehend why anyone would waste something so expensive on Jesus' feet. And perhaps that in itself indicates that he didn't really appreciate the true value of his master, of Jesus. He was obviously very clever 
about helping himself to the money because even right at the end of the story, no one had any idea except Jesus that Judas was a thief and a betrayer. So he'd help himself, but it wouldn't have been obvious to people that there were huge chunks of money missing, but Judas was making sure that he was looked after by the money that was collected from the goodwill of others who were donating to the cause of Jesus. Now, it's interesting because in Mark's record of this same event, in Mark chapter 14, it actually says that there were more than just Judas. It wasn't just Judas that said this. It says, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why wasn't this money sold and given to the poor? Sorry, this ointment sold and given to the poor. So Judas here is recorded as saying it, but it seems as though there were others that were sympathetic. And Judas perhaps was the only one that said it out loud. So he could probably sense the feeling in the room and understand that others also were a bit confused and a bit sceptical about why this was being done. And he masks his own desire for the money by cloaking it in a, in a nice gesture of donating it to the poor. All the all the while thinking about how he could get his hands on it. And this would probably increase his standing in front of the disciples as well. They'd think, oh, you know, Judas is thinking about the poor. That's, that's noble. Jesus has taught us to look after the poor and think about them. Good on you, Judas. Good thinking. And it makes you wonder, doesn't it? He was a thief, but was he always a thief? We're not told. Or did this, this is what seems likely to me, perhaps these thefts started from a small incident and as he continued undetected, or so he thought, he would continue in his, his brazenness, I guess, until he was completely given over to thievery from the bag. And perhaps his conscience was slowly seared as he committed one theft after another. So let's have a look now at another passage, which I think tells us a little bit more about Judas, in Luke chapter 22. Right, so Luke chapter 22, and um, <clears throat> just a short little section here. It says in verse 3, well, as a background, I guess, in verse 2, the chief priests and the scribes, they're trying to find a way to kill Jesus, but they're kind of trapped because the people are around Jesus all the time and they're very sympathetic to Jesus, so they need an occasion where Jesus is on his own so they can take him and put him to death. And lucky for them, it says in verse 3, that Satan entered Judas, or Judas, his heart just being filled with a desire for himself and gratification of himself, surnamed Iscariot, was numbered among the twelve. He went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad. Our lucky day. And they agreed to give him money. So he promised them and sought opportunity to betray Jesus to them in the absence of the multitude, where no one else was around. He needed a time when no one else was around. So, in fact, in the Mark record that we talked about before, in Mark chapter 14, that incident where we looked at before with Mary anointing the feet of Jesus and what Judas does here, going to the chief priests, they're connected, they're right next to each other. And some, myself included, um, 
think that those two events are connected, that something flipped in the mind of Judas when he saw what Mary did and he saw Jesus' response to what Mary did. Because what did, what did Jesus say um, to Judas? He said, let her alone because she's done this anointing because of my burial and you've got the poor always with you but me you don't have always. So those cryptic words that Jesus spoke or perhaps just the waste of money in itself was enough for Judas to be triggered to go off and betray Jesus for money. And maybe it was just the money. Maybe he thought, well, um, Jesus has just said he's going to be buried one day, which means he won't be around forever. So I've got to look at ways to you know, secure my financial independence. I know what I'll do. And he concocts a scheme. And I think there was more to this scheme than just what meets the eye here. We'll come to that later. He concocts a scheme to make some money for himself. And I think this kind of gives the idea, to me at least, that Judas thought that he was the smartest man in the room. So he, he had masqueraded as a follower of Jesus, all the while pilfering money from the bag. <clears throat> and in his mind, he'd deceived all of the disciples, and he actually had. None of the disciples knew a thing about this, but he, I think, thought that he, even Jesus himself had no idea. And when you think about the brazenness of him now, going secretly to the chief priests and scribes, all the other disciples were absolutely terrified of them because they knew that they wanted to capture Jesus. But Judas here approaches them boldly and offers to betray his own master to them. And they just accept it and they're delighted by, by his offer. It's unbelievable. It's a horrible situation. And it shows, I guess, the, the base intentions of Judas and also the base intentions of the chief priests and scribes as well. They were all there together of one mind, really. They're all about protecting themselves because Jesus was a threat to the chief priests and scribes. They wanted him out the way so that their positions were looked after. And Judas, well, he wanted to look after himself as well, didn't he? So... They made this scheme together, a win-win situation, if you might say. So it's unbelievable when you think about all this stuff that's going on in the background, and Jesus is aware of this, even though Judas perhaps didn't know that. And Jesus, throughout all of the interactions we have, he's patient and he's kind and he's loving to Judas. And can you imagine doing that when you can see into the heart of one of your closest friends and you know that they've got no interest in you whatsoever, they're all about themselves, they couldn't care less about you and your cause and about your God, and they're there purely to get money out of you and out of, um, I don't know, circumstances that they come across. <clears throat> So instead of, we've already mentioned this before, haven't we? Instead of heaping scorn and derision on Judas as we go through this story, I've already encouraged you to do it before, but let's pause for a moment now and ask ourselves the same question that the, Lord, that the disciples asked Jesus. And what was that question? It was, Lord, 
Is it I? And maybe some of us perhaps haven't tasted the, I don't know, what comes from money and, and, and had the ability to earn money and, and increase their wealth. But are you ever guilty of focusing just on yourself, of coming here to, for what you can get out of it? Because that's what Judas was doing after all. Are you coming here to look out for number one? And Judas here has his deepest and darkest thoughts kind of laid bare in the word of God. Imagine if God decided to do that with us. Would we be happy? Would we feel confident that God could reveal the things that we think in our deepest and darkest moments? So maybe we shouldn't be so quick to condemn Judas. Maybe we should be asking that question introspectively, looking inside and asking ourselves whether we could be guilty of the same thing because we just don't want to be in that situation. Because as we can see from the story of Judas, it ends in absolute tragedy. But Jesus continues to work with Judas right up to the end, and I think this speaks volumes of the wonder of our Lord, of Jesus. He never exposed Judas as a thief, and he kept all these twisted intentions secret, and he let Judas think that he was being successful right the way through. I mean, how tempting would it have been to have just you know, tripped him up and made a complete fool of him in front of everyone and pushed him along? knowing full well that God's plan involved Judas betraying him to the, to the chief priests. So Jesus could have probably put a stop to that quite easily, couldn't he, if he'd wanted to, but he never did. An amazing man. So let's have a think about, um, we've talked about it already, what might Jesus have known about Judas, uh, perhaps even from the very beginning? So... I'll just chuck a couple of quotes up on the screen and, and we'll briefly summarise them uh, because we're going to run out of time otherwise. So Mark chapter 10. Now there's, there's at least three occasions where Jesus, when he's speaking to his disciples, he says to them, I'm going to be betrayed and delivered over to the chief priests and then I'll be delivered over to the Gentiles and I'm going to be mocked and scorned and beaten and spat upon. He said these things because he understood that he was going to be betrayed. First of all, by Judas to the chief priests. And then the chief priests were going to betray him to the Gentiles and he would be put to death. So imagine knowing that about yourself and knowing that Judas holds the key. He's the one that's going to start the whole thing rolling. And you could stop it by stopping Judas. And yet Jesus let him go. Let him continue on. It's unbelievable. Let's have a look at another passage in John chapter 6. Now maybe we'll turn this one up, John chapter 6. <clears throat> if you're where I am, it's not too many pages over. It'll save us flicking back and forth too much. So in John chapter 6... Um, <clears throat> This is an incident early on in the ministry of Jesus where he's talking about his sacrifice publicly to the people and he says some things which were designed to challenge people and even repulse people, 
drive people away that weren't genuinely interested in him, but draw people closer to him that were interested. He talked about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, things that were repulsive to a Jew naturally, but clearly he was talking about more spiritual things. But sadly, it says in verse 66 of John 6, that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus says to the 12 in verse 67, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says something very interesting next, doesn't he? Jesus answered, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? One of you is a false accuser? One of you is evil, effectively, or has ulterior motives? You're not here because you're genuine, one of you. And what would, I wonder what Judas would have thought at that time. Would he have thought, oh, maybe he knows. Maybe he knows that I'm a thief. But perhaps as time passed, the panic that he might have felt at the time dissipated and, oh, no, he doesn't know. He hasn't said anything to me. And he just kept on at what he was doing. He thought he was flying under the radar. Maybe someone else is doing something else and who knows. But I think that this was one of many warnings that Jesus gave to Judas by explicitly not mentioning that he knew that someone was, was not, someone's heart was not in the right place. The warning was spoken so that Judas had a chance to repent and change his ways. And he was given many opportunities. Now there's a pretty awful verse actually that Jesus speaks. And this one is the setting for this verse is Jesus has finished the supper in the upper room. Judas has gone out and Jesus is with his disciples and they're walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And G Judas is going to meet Jesus and the disciples there and betray him at that moment. But as they're walking, Jesus is speaking to the disciples and then he offers this wonderful prayer in John chapter 17 and verse 12. And look at what he says about Judas. So he's, he's talking about the commission that God has given him, a special commission. Everyone that God has given me, he's commanded me that I should lose nothing. It's important, God said to Jesus, no one will be lost. And yet, Jesus says, and none of them have been lost except the son of perdition. And that means the son of destruction. It means someone who is being used for a purpose and then they're fit for destruction. There's no hope for that person at all. And it's an awful thing for someone like the Lord to say, someone who was so optimistic and in love with his father and trying desperately to save everyone that he came in contact with, and yet he could not touch this man Judas. He could not reach his heart. That's a very... Damning verse, if ever there was one, of Judas, I think. In the passage we read tonight, in John chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He goes around the room and he's washing their feet in a basin and wiping their feet dry with the towel that's wrapped around himself. He washes Judas's feet as well 
to show that he could have been part of that group and, and he still had opportunity right then and there to be involved in the work of, of the Lord. And then Peter protests, oh, you'll never wash my feet, Lord. And, um, of course, Jesus, with that interchange, says, I have to wash your feet. And he's like, well, I'll wash my head as well. I'm more important than everyone else. Wash me completely. I love you more than everyone else. And Jesus says, I don't have to wash anything else except your feet. That's all I need to wash, Peter. And then you'll be clean. But then he says, you're not all clean. And says that he was speaking of Judas, who was going to betray him. So there's all these verses that when they're stacked on top of each other, they build a really horrible picture, actually, of Judas the man and just the depths that he had descended to. Someone who masqueraded as a genuine disciple of Jesus who had completely fooled all of the disciples into thinking that he was one of them, who thought that he had fooled the Lord as well, and I think in the plan that, Jesus, uh, that Judas concocted to get more money and betray Jesus, he thought he was smarter than the chief priests and scribes as well. But his plan is going to come horribly unstuck. So it, it seems likely that actually in the upper room, because Judas was looking for an occasion to betray Jesus when the people weren't around, Jesus had gone to great lengths actually to arrange the upper room so that no one actually knew where it was um, until they arrived there, apart from the two trusted disciples that were sent out to prepare it. And this, I think, very likely was being done so that Judas wouldn't know where that room was because the Last Supper was a very important moment that Jesus needed to spend with the disciples, the last time that he had with them. They were precious moments indeed. And he himself said, with desire, I have desired to eat this last supper with you, this Passover with you. And actually, let's just turn back to John chapter 13. Um, that was our reading for tonight. And you know the, um, the little interchange that we read about when Peter says, ask the Lord, who is it? He whispers across the table to John, who's sitting next to Jesus. And then J J John leans into Jesus and says, who is it? And Jesus says, I'm going to give the, the bread to the person who it is. And he dips the bread and gives it to Judas, who's on his other, other side, indicating to John only that Judas was the betrayer. And I don't think that John would have said to Simon, to Peter, it's Judas because Simon would have got his sword out and probably chopped his head off right on the spot. That was what Simon was like. And he was probably asking it so that he could have a go. Um, and John must have understood that Jesus didn't want anyone else to know. But when Jesus gives the bread to Judas in verse 26, in verse 27, after the piece of bread... Satan entered him. That, is, that means that Judas's resolve to complete his task was set in stone, you might say. He was absolutely determined to go through with it. And Jesus leant over and said to him, what you do, do quickly. And I don't know whether Jesus, Judas understood from what Jesus said, whether Jesus 
Jesus and Judas's names are very similar. I'm having trouble here. Um, <clears throat> and I'm not sure whether Judas would have understood when Jesus said that, whether he knew what Judas was actually going to do or whether Judas himself, this, it was a fairly generic statement, wasn't it? The other disciples didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. We're told that in the next verse. And Judas himself, he might have thought, maybe he does know what I'm going to do. I'm not sure. I think he wasn't 100% certain because he went ahead with what he did regardless. But Jesus is telling him, I know what you're going to do, so go and do it quickly because it has to be done. So in actual fact, this you know, master schemer, Judas, is completely in the control of Jesus himself. And Jesus is the one that dispatches him and tells him, off you go, go and do what you have to do because it has to be done. But Jesus was the one actually who was calling the shots in this, in this situation here. And it's amazing the self-control and the wisdom and the power that he had that was restrained in order to fulfil the will of God. And Jesus could have completely exposed it and ended it right then and there, couldn't he? If he'd said, Judas, you're going to betray me, how could you? Well, that would have been it because the disciples would have leapt on him and it would have been all over in an instant. He didn't do that at all. I actually like those, those words. Well, I don't like them, but they are incredibly poetic. The words in verse 30, deliberately chosen, I'm sure. Having received the piece of bread... He went out immediately and it was night. So it was a dark night and there's a dark heart moving around in the darkness to meet other people who have dark hearts and together they're scheming dark things and they're going to take Jesus away. A poetic little statement there at the end of that verse. So let's move on now and just um, have a look at Luke chapter 22. Um, sorry, I think we were back. <laughs> we were in Luke 22 before and we're bouncing back and forth a bit, but there are quite a few passages and they're sort of scattered in the New Testament. So back in Luke 22, Jesus has been in the garden pouring his heart out to his God in agony, trying to build the resolve and the determination and, and needing the strength of encouragement from God through prayer and through an angel who came and strengthened him. You know, he poured out sweat like great drops of blood. And then it says in verse 47 of Luke 22, and while he was still speaking to the disciples, um, a multitude and he who was called Judas, one of the 12, you can almost hear the shock in these words, can't you? One of the 12 went before them and drew near Jesus to kiss him. Now, I think this reveals Judas's plan. Because why, why did he do it that way? I mean, he's got the group of soldiers, the guards with him. All he had to do was walk up near Jesus and say, yep, that's, that's him in the middle there. There's, there's a group of them and, and he's the one wearing the whatever. But he didn't do it that way. He walked up to Jesus... And only, the chief, only these guards knew that he was going to kiss Jesus as the sign. So it was a secret between him and the guards. He'd go up, he'd kiss Jesus. And then I think this was all designed so that Judas, when he did that, 
Jesus and the disciples would think, oh, Judas is just out doing something. He's come back and he's greeting Jesus. And then I'm sure Judas had a watertight excuse for this group of people that had followed him um, and were going to take Jesus away. I mean, that's my theory, but it seems odd, doesn't it, that, Jesus, that Judas would choose to kiss Jesus as a sign when he could have just said, yep, that's him right there, come and get him. I think he'd done it as a deliberate cloak to deceive everyone once again. Once again, he thought he was the smartest person in the room. So he would have done it in a way that appeared innocent to the disciples and to Jesus, and yet pointed out clearly to the others that this was the man, come and take him. But he didn't realise that Jesus, after he had left the disciples, after Judas had gone out, Jesus had actually revealed to them all that Judas was the betrayer. And he would never, and in this this moment here, Jesus revealed it again. He he clearly indicated that uh, Judas was the betrayer. Because as Judas comes up to give him the kiss, he says, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And I wonder who else of the disciples heard that. They were all around him. But his true colours were then revealed before everyone. And Judas realised that Jesus knew all along. And now the disciples and Jesus know Judas's scheme. It's all fallen apart it's in tatters he can't return to that group of people anymore can you imagine what they would have done to him if he'd come back in the betrayer of the lord but jesus in those words he wasn't just revealing judas he was saying it's almost like he's saying this you know judas i knew all along that you were going to betray me and i sent you out because i needed you to do this and bring these people here it's all part of god's purpose And you're here just like I expected, but, wow, I didn't expect that you would stoop this low. Betray me with a kiss, a symbol of love and affection, and you're trying to do that to deceive us all. It's really a picture of unthinkable coldness, I think, and it's done for what I think is only to be understood as personal gain. So there's one other sad little passage that we um, should look at before we finish, uh, and that's in Matthew 27. And this perhaps, maybe, maybe it slightly softens um, what Judas was intending out of all of this betrayal, but I think it reveals that he thought he was going to trick the chief priests and the scribes as well as Jesus and the disciples, and get some money out of it. So it says in verse 3, Judas, Jesus' betrayer, sorry, Matthew 27, verse 3, Judas, Jesus' betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, excuse me, condemned, he was remorseful, he regretted it, and he brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and he departed and went and hanged himself. 
It's a terrible end to a terrible story. And whatever uh, Judas's motivations might have been, I think it's clear from verse 3, he did not expect Jesus to be condemned. Because it's when he saw that he'd been condemned that he came back and he thought, oh no, what have I done? I've betrayed someone who's innocent. And those words, innocent blood, to me show that Judas knew all along that Jesus had done nothing worthy of death. So there's this little trick that Judas has concocted. He's swindling the chief priest out of some money. And if he pulled off the betrayal correctly, he'd give Jesus a kiss. He'd be welcomed back in among the group. They'd take Jesus away. They'd try him. There's nothing they can condemn him for. He'd be released and then they continue on. I think that was Judas's plan. But it all fell apart, didn't it? Because in the garden, the betrayal failed spectacularly. Jesus knew all along and revealed to everyone what Judas was up to. And then, unbeknownst to anyone, no one was expecting this, Jesus was actually condemned. So Judas completely underestimated the Lord, completely underestimated him and misunderstood him, didn't have a clue what Jesus was about, despite being with him for three and a half years. And he completely underestimated the chief priests and the scribes who were totally corrupt and totally determined to preserve their position and get rid of this imposter, Jesus, as they thought. So in the end, Judas is left with nothing but a fistful of coins. And even he, motivated by greed and money his whole life, could see that what is the point of all of this? What is the worth of this? And instead of approaching God and asking for forgiveness, he approaches the people he'd made the deal with and asks them to sort of set things straight. Even at that moment, he kind of reveals that his heart was just completely foreign to the ways of God. And he threw that money down and went out and hung himself. And if he'd have had any understanding of Jesus as a loving and a compassionate saviour, someone who gave his life in every way for those who loved him and followed him, he wouldn't have ended his life in this way. Because all of us betray our Lord at times. All of us at times fail. And yet, mercy and forgiveness is available through the way that God's appointed, through his son who gave his life for us. But Jesus had called Judas the son of destruction, hadn't he? And he'd said in another passage, it would be better if that man had never been born. Horrible words, but true words. And Judas, I think, understood that there was nothing for him. He, life as he had lived it to this moment was over and there was nothing left. And so he ended his life. So as I said before, there's several theories as to why Judas did what he did, and you might have a different theory. Um, certainly I did before I started looking at these passages, but I think for me at least it's clear that the picture we have of Judas, the words that Jesus spoke of Judas, the things that Judas did, they all reveal that Judas was a thief, that he was a manipulator, that he thought he was the smartest man in the room and he had everyone wrapped around his finger 
And this scheme was just one of his many ways to get a little bit more money and continue on fleecing the disciples and Jesus of the money that was going into the collection bag. But as I've said before as well, we can focus on the negative qualities of Judas and the horrible story and shake our heads in disgust. Or we can realise that all of this magnifies actually in, in great detail, sorry, not in great detail, it completely elevates the character of Jesus, the Lord who Judas was pretending to serve. Because when you're faced with something so horrible like this, it would bring out the worst in almost any of us. But in Jesus, his character really shines. And he doesn't show less love or favour to Judas that we can see. He even places him in a position of trust, giving him an opportunity to be honest. He taught him patiently. He gave him many warnings. He even washed his feet at the Last Supper. And he told Judas he knew what he was up to, gave him so many chances, and yet Judas continued on to the ultimate act of betrayal. And finally, we need to ask ourselves again the question, Lord, is it I? Judas's destiny could have been very different. And our lives don't need to end this way, do they? Maybe sometimes we might think we're not worthy of the kingdom, but Jesus was working with Judas right up until the very end, and he does the same with all of us. He wants us all to be part of God's family. He won't give up on us. And so if we keep asking the question, Lord, is it I, honestly examining ourselves, we won't be like Judas. And we will be accepted and see him as our wonderful saviour. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.